What's up? This is Jonathan Steele coming to you through the Stay Woke Podcast. One of the things that's going on, especially right now today, and the biggest things that I've noticed is uh, value. And it's interesting how we rate that in different fields. Some people feel like the value of a lawyer or a doctor justifies why they make the amount of money that they do now. Not every lawyer and doctor gets paid a big time salary because you got, you know, people who are either court appointed public defenders and you got some doctors that they just they're residents for, you know, a good amount of their career. And then they some uh, doctors actually uh, decide to work with, you know, doctors beyond borders. So not every one of them is getting paid a huge sum of money. And then when you move to different fields, some people look at the amount of money some people make and they kind of justify what they make based off what they do and some don't. Say in the sports world, people have always looked at them very similar to how they look at other forms of entertainment. They're like, hey, well, they should just be happy with whatever they make. And you could say to a certain degree that that might make a lot of sense because they're still going to make, on average, depending if they're working pretty well, a better living than, say, someone who is working, you know, as a plumber or maybe as a dentist, depending on how much work they're doing, or even someone who's a mechanic or a police officer. But value is relative to the markets that you're in. So, for example, when people say, look at LeBron and what he makes, there's some people that think like, oh, well, he makes more than enough money. And it's that's not the most accurate thing to say because his value to what he brings versus what he makes will never be equal to each other. There was an article around the time when he was with Miami where the owner, Mickey Harrison, was like, hey, if we went based off of a free market, I would have to pay LeBron. 75, maybe $85 million for the year, just based off on what he brings to him, based off of ticket sales and merchandising. But he's only paying them at the time, roughly 20, 21, 22. Because LeBron used to take contracts under market value. So he'll have a better team around. And some people are like, oh, well, you know, he still makes a lot of money. It's like, well, anytime you suppress someone's salary, it shrinks it. Which means then the other pool of people that are in that may not get the same amount of money as, say, someone else. You know, for a large part of his career, he wasn't the highest paid player in the league. And it's been pretty much known he's been consistently the best player in his profession for probably 10 years running consistently. Minus the Kobe years where he went, won an MVP and maybe the two championships. You can debate that. But just using that as an example between value and what you actually make. So that's even going on now. Like some people might think this is crazy to say that Beyonce, when you look at her value and what she makes, is more than likely underpaid. When you look at her level of influence, the amount of money she generates at each concert she does, uh, to the amount of merchandising that she's able to move, you could say her value compared to what she's actually paid is is not is not accurate. It doesn't meet what she really brings to the table. And that's something that, you know, going through your life, you got to be able to balance that out when you start talking about what's my worth versus what am I in the position to negotiate? You know, and that's another thing, that, especially in our communities, that we kind of got to 
get a handle on. Our value and what we are in a position to negotiate are different. You know, it's always going to be different, especially when you're working with companies because companies have overhead. You know, so many things are coming out when you're dealing with other companies, you know, as an employer versus as an employee. So moving forward, whenever you hear people talk about, well, what's the best ways for you to make money? Ultimately, is if you have ownership in whatever you do, that's the best chance you have to make money. Um, for an example, years ago with Michael Vick, when he started to turn his career around, uh, a company, I believe the name of it was Unequal Solutions, they come to him and was like, hey, I think the amount of money that they were going to pay him was $2 million to market their, uh, their football equipment. And Michael Vick decided to turn down that initial offer and just take all stock from the company. And he did that. And there's no, I don't know the official amount that he made, but they said he made upwards, I think it was at four to five times in stock value with that company than he would have if he just took a regular $2 million salary a year with them. And that's another thing that people got to wrap their, their, their heads around is like, if you have the ownership stakes in any companies you're in, that's your best chance to make money. Um, and then not everything that you do based off the market you're in, you're going to be able to negotiate those terms. You know, for example, Des Bryant, a football player who plays for the Cowboys, you know, his contract now seems like he's being overpaid. But at the time when he got his money, it was at market value for what his position in the field that he's in says he should get. Rock Nation, his his uh, agents negotiated that contract. So now when people are coming to him now and they look at what he did with in the past versus what he's doing now, they'll say like, oh, well, he should take a pay cut. Well, his contract is what his contract is now. That's up to the Dallas Cowboys to come to him and say, well, you know, we don't think you're no longer worth that number. He doesn't have to negotiate that with them. And another thing that he's doing that a lot of people seemingly don't do is he's not going to negotiate that publicly. He's like, his contract is his contract. He's not interested in, in doing a contract negotiation through the public. Now, obviously, his team probably briefed him on that, on what to say in regards to that, because you've never heard anybody who negotiates publicly get their money when they're talking about someone that they're trying to do a business deal with. It just never happens. You know, one of the, the things that ended up happening, I don't know if anyone who had a chance to see the Defiant ones, when they show the clip of Dr. Dre and the Apple deals going down and Tyrese says what he says on that video, people can say that it didn't it didn't hurt it. But in the doc, it acknowledges that kind of put that deal in some trouble when he said that the deal had already went down and they were still in negotiations. Now, they ended up selling for three point two billion, I believe was the official number. But. Even in that doc, I don't even think they even acknowledged on if that was the best number. Because chances are high, that probably wasn't their best number. He could have got something much higher than that. Because anytime a merger leaks out and the public is now involved in it, people don't realize you're now affecting stocks when you start talking about company mergers and market confidence. So yeah, people could say like, but well, Dre still made 
his company still sold for $3.2 billion. He still got his money to a large degree. You know, who's complaining for drugs? Like, in the end, what you want is you want to make sure that you get the best business deals and no matter what field you're in, that you can. So anything that leaks to the public is not good for you. And for an example of that, when you look at what happened with, say, the Monique situation with Netflix, negotiating with a multi-billion dollar company publicly does not work. It's not going to work. Now, I know some people like, oh, well, the offer was low. Again, you'll never get paid what your true value is. You're going to get paid what you're in a position to negotiate. She hasn't had a special that's been out, that's been talked about, that's generated a lot of revenue based off the analytics numbers that they presented. Now, you can debate that and say, well, they're skewing that. Well, every major company will like to not pay somebody their true value in a negotiation. That's how it's always worked. Even when down to the number of saying that they had a budget where they could pay her upwards of $3 million. That's how they had her position and rated. And people can say, well, why they come to her that low? Again, it's a business. Now, if she had other people that were bidding at the time for her, that number then changes. So I don't know that much about her her husband other than the fact that he's been her manager and has been kind of running her career for a number of years now. But that's your next counteroffer, which they say he did not counteroffer. An example of that, you know, I know people have brought up the gender aspect of that. Well, she's a, a black female comic. Well, gender does have something to do with it because on average, a lot most women are in every field across the board underpaid commensurate to the value of their male counterpart. That's true. But say you take someone like Jamie Foxx. He hasn't done a special, I think, since I Need Security. I could be wrong. He hasn't done one since 2002. Maybe 03 was the last time he did a special. Now, would he get who Monique mentioned in that um, uh, video that she made, $20 million compared to Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock? No, because he hasn't been doing comedy shows like that. His name and his value in that field isn't as high as it is right now, say, if he does a film right now. But he would get more than a half a million dollars. That's true. Because you got to look at the relationships that he's built over the years and how much money he's made for a lot of these companies. So a company like Amazon that that's needs a lot of content or Netflix or HBO or Showtime, you know, would bid to get involved in Jamie Foxx putting out a special on their network because of his social media influence that he has and the fact that he's a huge star. And, and in comparison to her, yeah, they're both. Oscar winners, and that's true. I know she brought that up, that, you know, she's an Oscar winner and she should get that kind of respect, but there's been a lot of Oscar winners that are not really working that much right now. You can't get paid off of what you've done in the past. You know, so an example of that right now is, say, Octavia Spencer. She won an Oscar two years after Monique, and she's still an, one of the highest in-demand actresses at this moment. Not the help. Like, the help is now the backdrop of Octavia Spencer's career. She just booked another film, the Dr. Doolittle movie, the other day. So, 
in a comparison of, say, just Octavia Spencer to Monique, it's a difference because she's in demand now. And that's another thing I think that she, in hindsight, is going to probably look back on and, and realize that she probably didn't play some of these scenarios the right way. And what she said was true. Well, why can, if Viola Davis says it, why does it hold more weight? Because it holds more weight because she's still currently in demand now. That's why it holds more weight. So when someone like her says, like, hey, I'm being underpaid compared to other people who I'm in the same category with, I'm being vastly underpaid. Her word holds more value to that issue than someone who just currently has not been working consistently in their field at this time. No different than Octavia Spencer saying that when the last one that she just booked, saying like, hey, I'm I get paid, I think she said five times less than some of the white male, white female counterparts that she has. And I think her and um, uh, Jessica Chastain, who they worked on to help with her that in an negotiated deal to get the same amount of money. So people are looking like, wow, I didn't know that Octavia Spencer was getting underpaid because you see her a lot. You've seen her in big films since she's won her Oscar and you see her in smaller films, but you consistently see her. So when you hear her say, like, hey, I'm not getting paid the amount of money I'm supposed to be getting paid based off the position I am and how I work, that holds more weight. The racial and gender argument is always going to be there. It'll never leave. You can't discount it. It's just what what's its place and how do you rate it based off of the particular individual it involves. That's a real thing. And you can't dismiss that. And I think kind of if you're going to bring that in, you know, people always talk about what can we do to, to help the team. It has to be about we first, if you're going to try and do that, especially in our community versus it's about me. The reason why it was accepted more so well with Viola Davis and Octavia versus Monique is because Viola and Octavia's arguments based off where they're at in their careers and the way they presented their argument is presented as this is something I want to see improved for the collective. When Monique presented her argument, it was more so about, well, I'm not getting mine, so I would need you to go ahead and, and just boycott. And that's how it lands. Because it's a really hard thing to claim a racial element, and they just gave upwards of $100 million to Shonda Rhimes, and they gave a big deal to Ava DeVernay. They had that show Chewing Gum with Michaela Cole that's been doing well. It's a lot of people of color. I know Justin uh, Simon, for I believe Dear White People, his show got picked up immediately and is doing well. And then she's got to have it. It's a lot of people of color that's on Netflix that are getting really good deals to produce content for their streaming platform. So, you know, you got to be really careful when you start bringing up a racial argument and start looking at, well, what, what am I doing in my career? Am I generating that type of interest? But again, she's very accomplished. You know, no one can take away the fact that she gave a great performance in a great movie at that time. But that's what it is. It's a great performance in that movie at that time. Jamie Foxx can't still cash in off of Ray. It'll be brought up to him. It'll still be the arguably the most defining performance of his career. But he still can't live off that. He's still not going to get parts just because of Ray. He's going to get parts still based off what he can still do now. 
And that's something I think we got to kind of keep in mind whenever you start talking about that. Um, even when you look at the music business, most of the artists that make true money in this in, in the music business, they don't make that just off music. They branched off to do other things inside of that. And not everyone's going to be able to negotiate the same deals. Someone like Jay-Z's always brought up, but I'm like, you know, Jay-Z's been in this business now for arguably, what is it, 25 plus years. He's He came in under the moniker of, I don't work for you, I'll work with you. And that's always been his mantra. And he's always negotiated his contracts like that. And it used to be 50-50. I believe when he first started out with Rockefeller and the deals, as time went on, it changed. There's a lot of people out here working jobs now that if you're really bringing $100,000 a year of worth of value, but a company's only going to pay you forty, that's the that's the base amount that they're going to pay you, but say they end up getting you to do it for 30 they would do that. That's how that's how these things work. And they won't lose a bit of sleep about it. They're looking like, hey, we're trying to get the best business deal that we can. And sometimes that happens. You know, sometimes, like, especially even on some of these interviews where people talk about other people's money. Now, I just be thinking sometimes, like, who decided to negotiate publicly? Like, when did that become an acceptable thing to do? Like, even when things happen, I remember at the time with, uh, I believe, like, whose contract? I remember, I think it was Steph Curry's contract at the time. And someone said, like, hey, was he going to give the Warriors a discount? Because... You know, um, to keep Kevin Durant and to keep some of these people, it was like, well, no, because what he brings to the Golden State Warriors in every one of those categories that is a big deal says that he should get a max contract based off what's in their CBA to negotiate. Steph Curry is arguably the most influential basketball player in the game right now. He's not the best, but he's probably the most influential because he's, people can look at him and say, like, oh, I can play that. LeBron is a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime player and person of influence right now in terms of what he means to the NBA. But if you're talking about whose impact on the game has been really long-lasting, it's someone like a Steph Curry because now you got a bunch of kids that are not that big, that are not super athletic necessarily they really believe they can play basketball if they can hit threes and with him he got underpaid we actually got paid what it was worth at the time for his initial contract because he was injured a lot and his contract at that time opened the door for him to for them to be able to sign Kevin Durant so at that time this is some money that can now set him up for the rest of his career so then he ended up deciding to take a full max deal he's another one that he didn't get big offers from Nike to sign with them. And he took Under Armour. And with Under Armour, he didn't even get a large salary. They gave him stocks. And they gave him a lot of that, the stock values that he had in his shoe. Now, his shoe, I think in comparison now, it's not really, it still sells, but it's not selling like at the rate that some of the Nike shoes are. I know, I believe with the new Kyrie's and... I don't know if John Wall's shoe outsells his. I will have to look that up uh, just to be sure. But it's not a popular selling shoe that you people talk about when you go to a basketball court. Is that they're wearing Steph Curry shoes. 
it's mentioned, but it's not that hot. It's not Kyrie, you know, because Kyrie just has a better shoe. But just in comparison off of that, that's a huge thing that he was able to get that much value in his shoe and was making, on average, more money than, say, someone that had a salary with, say, Nike. If you're Steph Curry at the time, and you don't even get a deal with Nike when you're first coming out, he still didn't do that publicly. He was just surprised that they wouldn't sign him. And at the time, he felt like, well, we can't really market a Steph Curry shoe. And this is before he became as big as he is now playing. But that's a that's a seems kind of crazy to say that now, seeing what he was. But at the time, that's how they rated him. Nike was just they did not believe that he was going to sell a shoe. Derrick Rose at the time was bigger than Steph Curry. And look how that changed quick. And Derrick Rose is still an influential person, still in the market in terms of people knowing his name, the athleticism that he had when he first came out, and what he did early on with the Bulls. But now that's not there. He's still going to get money off his shoe deal, which is like, I think they say he got $80 million left on that contract. So for, for Derrick Rose now, his main objective now is like, I just want to keep playing in the league. So I think he could still get his money. Now, some people are saying that if he reti- if he were to retire, it would offset some of that money. It depends on how he negotiated his contract. But that's another thing is because he was able to negotiate that at that time with Adidas when he was at his height, he got a, one of the highest, you know, shoe deals in history. James Harden has a $200 million shoe deal now. And that's based off what he is and his value and what he can negotiate. I think moving forward in the fields that we are are working in, people can start to adjust to that and see about how can they go about trying to get the kind of deals that they want. And even with some of the people that you may disagree with how they negotiate their contracts, you don't have to necessarily bash them. You can just disagree with them. The style of negotiating publicly just doesn't work. Even with, say, Odell Beckham Jr., he's never personally said, but if you hear that he wants to set the market, and he wants to be paid like a quarterback, that can be leaked out by you people. And that's how it's perceived. Now, the team's going to try and do that because they want to lower your value. They're always going to try and do that. And then your background and what you're bringing and where you're at now shapes that. So if he wants to kind of get what he's going to get, it's a certain level of dependability that people have to have when they give you a certain amount of money. And a lot of people don't like hearing that, but it's not a blank check. You know, they put clauses in these contracts for a reason. They're not going to give you complete autonomy to, okay, we're going to give you a bunch of guaranteed money and you're going to get this and that, but you don't deliver from a performance level. It's just, it's not going to happen. You know, so with some of the stuff going on with, say, say some, whether it's a Monique for, you know, entertainment, who's trying to get better business deals which is a good thing, you know, especially for women. I think that's another thing is uh, I think a lot of women have been vastly underpaid. It's just how you're going to negotiate that, you know. It's a way to, to go about doing that. Hopefully, moving forward, we kind of get better at that, especially when it comes to how we decide to do that with each other. You know, one of the things that kind of is the most surprising is that a lot of her assessments on the people when it comes to her financially is people of color. Do you need, say, a, a Tyler Perry or a Oprah or a Lee Daniels? Do you have to work with them in order to be successful? 
and you're of color? No. Does it help? Yeah. Bashing them doesn't help because then you give the impression off to other companies that, well, if you don't get a certain amount of money or you don't get every demand that comes your way, you're going to decide to bash them publicly. And that just doesn't work when you're trying to get people. I was talking about this just the other day when they're with, about Will Packer and when he got brought up. Is on average, his films cost more money than, than Jason Bloom on average. But no one's talking about, hey, well, he's underpaying or he's sabotaging people when it comes to money. He's like, no, if, I, if you can get a film made, the lower the budget is. And financially, that's a true thing. It doesn't then take as much money to make back when it comes to getting that back to profit. People don't know that, hey, yeah, you can make a movie that costs four to five million dollars easily. But if you're trying to put that in theaters... The marketing budget is different than the production budget. You could spend upwards to twenty to thirty million dollars on marketing a, a four to five million dollar movie. And even when you say, "Oh, well, it made X amount of money back," a third of that goes to the movie theater. So you're already working with less money on the value of it making of trying to make that back for you to really get paid off. So when that was brought up with his films, when she made that assessment even with almost christmas it's like that's an ensemble piece yes she has an oscar but gabrielle union has opened more movies than she has that's a fact you don't really see say someone like kimberly lee who i think is an incredible actress but she's not getting the kind of offers that some people would think her talent says she should get and that's just how sometimes those things go there's a lot of you know people that are in those positions but when she said what she said about Will Packer, I was just thinking, like, well, that doesn't really help. You know, you bring out a personal story and then you're going to a studio like Universal. The deals he has, ironically, is making their company a lot of money. They're not going to side with you on that, especially when his background and his track record is that stellar. And ironically, both Jason Blum and Will Packer have deals set up at Universal. Even with, say, a movie like Split or Get Out, those films cost far and away less money to produce than, say, what Girls Trip and a movie like, say, Ride Along 2 costs. Ride Along 2, they made that movie for $40 million, not counting print and advertising. They made their money back for them to want to make the third film, but that's just an example. But they spent forty million dollars on that. A film like Get Out costs anywhere from four and a half to five, and you make close to three hundred million dollars. And that's not counting television rights. That's not counting uh, any of the DVD or Blu-ray sales that the film made for the company. That's a higher return on profit. But the perception was publicly was that oh, well, Packers cheating actors. That's even been said with Tyler Perry. And to be fair. There's a reason why Tyler Perry's properties have Tyler Perry on it. His name and his brand sells those films. Even with this new film coming out with Taraji B. Hansen, she's definitely a name. But if you look at the track record of Tyler Perry's films and his career, it's a bigger, he's a bigger name. He has ownership in the stuff that he does. And you could talk about the rates and what he pays people, but that also goes to show you what rates are different paying people in the state of California than what you're going to pay them in the state of Georgia. 
and he's creating a lot of jobs. Now, you could debate how much money those people are getting paid because you can do that for every film or for every production that people are part of is, am I getting the amount of money that I should be getting? And that's cool. But you can't say that he's not making an effort to create for other people. You know, kind of got to get out of that savior syndrome, too. It's not up to just a handful of people in our community to, to save us. That's a dangerous thing to kind of get involved in. And we do that a lot where we'll look at certain people and we expect them to deliver on, on things like that. That I've never understood that. As great as Oprah is, it's not Oprah's responsibility to save humanity and to save all people of color. She can do her part, but she can't be that for everyone. Because as an individual, it's going to be certain things that she agrees with and certain things that she disagrees with. And that'll go on all day. I'm definitely going to wrap up this podcast. It was just some thoughts that I had on my mind. I look forward to doing another one. Hopefully the next few days or so, based off, I'm going to look at some other issues that I want to talk about. If anyone does get the chance to hear this, I, I thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm happy to be putting this on. I look forward to doing more in the future soon. Y'all have a great week. Stay up.